Hello, listeners of Stage of Fools. This is Darren, producer, editor, occasional guest. I just want to let you know that in this episode, there is a slight crackle on Shannon's track. It's not huge, it's only occasional. Hopefully, it will not spoil your enjoyment of this particular episode. Now, here are Zach and Shannon with some Shakespeare for you. Now, my cousin Hamlet and my son. A little more than kin and less than kind. How is it that the clouds still hang on you? Not so, my lord. I am too much in the sun. I'm Zach Powers. And this is Stage of Fools. The unofficial Royals podcast. Tonight we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 6, More Than Kin and Less Than Kind. It's Christmas in the palace, and Liam has sent the staff home for the holidays, leaving the family to fend for themselves. Jasper learns secret details about his past and present have leaked to the press. Helena resumes her sexual relationship with the Lord Chamberlain. Tensions rise between Robert and a jealous Liam. Cyrus gets drunk. Sarah Alice provides a Christmas miracle. It's the middle of January right now. Happy middle of January. Mid to late January. <laughs> um, the most festive time of the year, I guess. Shh. No one told Mark Schwann when Christmas usually is. He's just not good at marking the passage of time, and I don't want to hurt his feelings by rubbing it in. On January 15th, Mark Schwann aired the big ol' uh, Royals Christmas extravaganza. It was like Christmas in July, but six months too early, so no one really cares. Man, even the logo is Christmas-themed That's this time. true. It's got little Christmas, uh, it's got red and green all over it, and it has Simon, or Cyrus, saying ho, 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 bedded beneath it. Which is a clip from later in the episode. Ho, ho, ho. Classic Royals move, though. Usually they do something from the scene that opened the episode, the cold open, underneath the title card. But as it's been well established, I'm sure on the Stage of Fools wiki, it's a running bit that uh, they like to put sound effects underneath those title cards. So, If you are a person who does not watch this show and only listens to this podcast, we should note that we're... Not really going to talk about the intro, because it's literally the clip from the bonus episode we saw without the little banner notes. Yeah, so we did a mini-sode, which you should definitely check out. Uh, however you're listening to this podcast, go back a few episodes and check out our first ever mini-sode. I assumed when we saw Eleanor singing and dancing with Jasper to Winter Wonderland that it was just promotional material. I assumed the same. Because of those animated banners, again, listen to the mini so to hear us rant about the animated banners, but it's legitimately the opening of this episode, and it's strange because it doesn't do a good job establishing whether this is a fantasy sequence or not, because she's wearing a dress that is... The shirt that she wears for the entire episode just extended as a dress. And at the 
end of the song, she walks out of her own closet and lays back down on her bed in the same position she was in. I feel like they kind of betrayed us a little by double double using it. If they wanted this to be a surprise for this one, they should have just kept it in the vault like the rest of the Christmas episode until the episode actually aired. I think it's good for the purpose of this podcast because if we had started the episode with that basically glorified, not glorified, uh, that sort of quasi-music video, I don't think we would have been able to talk about anything else for the rest of this, you know, however long podcast. I think we would have gotten really hung up on that. So well, yeah. maybe it's for the best. We can move on to other things. Yeah, we already talked about that for 15 minutes, so we could just jump into the meat of the show. And there is some meat, turkey specifically. So one of the threads in this episode is I think they intentionally... Last episode, I wasn't sure if I was reading this right. This episode definitely... They're trying to make Robert a little bit more of a jerk or antagonistic figure. And the worst thing he does in the episode is actually something he does in his first scene that I don't think is meant to be a jerk thing. When he sees Jasper in the gym and tells him he knows about his past, but not before they get hung up on the Merry Christmas versus Happy Holidays debate. Oh, if only podcasting were a visual medium so the viewers could see my disgust. I mean, this is one of those arguments that you can technically apply to people who are like uber Christian as well, like people who freak out when you don't say Merry Christmas or Happy Christmas or whatever the fuck. Although, honestly, I've been to England. I don't believe that anyone freaks out if you don't say Happy Christmas because mm -hmm. they're not as like gung ho about their Christianity over there. Jasper says Happy Holidays to him and he's like, Somehow wishing someone a nice day has become offensive if you don't wish them the exact day they believe in in the exact language they prefer. Yeah, okay, your complaint that if you don't say the exact right holiday also applies to these people who aren't wishing you Happy Christmas. Like, obviously, I'm still very Team Robert because Liam has disappointed me a lot. It's all been downhill since he was saying Lion King karaoke in season one. Like, truly, um, that was his apex of personality. Robert, I think, has a very conservative outlook because he's very much about tradition and not breaking tradition and following the rules. He's mad at Jasper. Well, sort of implies he's a upset at Jasper for being in the family, family gym. <laughs> they go over the words family gym so many times that I feel like no one has ever said the words family gym in their life. Like, private gym, royal gym even, but Robert keeps saying family gym and it makes me feel like he's more upset that someone who's not his family is in there than someone yeah. who's not royal. I know he doesn't mean it that way, but it comes off as incredibly petulant. Family gym. I don't know if you've noticed, but I think in every episode since he's been back, there's been at least one scene of Robert exercising. Family gym. There's also been at least one scene of Robert staring at an hourglass in, and well, maybe not every episode since he's been back, but several. This is the first time he died to use the family gym. I don't know. He's just been working out in his room so far, but I guess today he's going down to the gym. He forgot about the gym while he was on the island, and today he finally remembered. You would think, I mean, if I were him, I would be down in the palace kitchens just like beefing up. I don't care if he was catching fish with his army equipment and eating them with sushi on the deserted island. I mean, with chopsticks because he's such a fancy boy. Like, he was malnourished. I would seriously be downstairs pahigging out. And that yeah. is the most unrealistic thing about that sh this show, is they don't show that. There's a little bit of tension between Jasper and Robert, because Robert doesn't trust Jasper because his family and him are and or were 
charlatans, as they say. He doesn't trust Jasper because there's no reason to trust Jasper, as he proves this episode, in my opinion. He mentioned that Jasper did find the man who murdered his father, which is a good start, I suppose. It shows that he's dedicated maybe which isn't a bad thing but although this scene i have to admit in a way kind of ruins a joke that happens later because robert's awake at this point and he should know the staff is not there he was busy staring at that uh, hourglass. hourglass for hours on end maybe he doesn't sleep and he just looks at that hourglass all night long it's ominous as f- in every way too like they are making it very clear and then we cut to helena waking up in her bed and calling out that the servants can enter (laughs) and no one comes in and she assumes that everybody got drunk on eggnog for christmas uh that's why they're not uh they're not coming she goes outside finds no one and immediately assumes that it's the zombie apocalypse and grabs a small axe from a table nearby There's a shot I'm obsessed with from this scene, though. It's a super, super wide shot. They shot Elizabeth Hurley through, like, two different rooms of the palace, their doorways, and you just see her from very far away in this extremely, you know, opulent set of rooms, her tiny figure creeping across the doorway from one side to the other with the axe, and I thought it was such a, like, the verbally the joke didn't land for me with her character but visually the joke did land Uh, there's a a shot like that later in this episode which because it's partly partly because these sets are so great but there's a scene i actually don't like at all in this episode but the last shot of it is very well done oh i'm in suspense i don't know what he's talking about either listener she sneaks into the kitchen or the dining room and finds liam there and asks if he's alive or undead before he reveals that he has sent the entire staff home and that's why no one's there honestly the way liam's been moping around it's not really a bad question because he basically is in this like limbo he's not legitimately in a depression it is more like a teenage angst wrote on on zanga i'm sure his posts are extremely dark and extremely intense the zombie apocalypse joke the first time was okay nothing special but i think that the repetition is what sells it yeah second time's a charm cyrus eleanor and robert they move in perfect synchronization into the room cyrus has some kind of weapon in his hand and repeats helena's line it's a goddamn zombie apocalypse Yeah, it's that classic, like, sitcom pose of multiple people peeking around the door with their heads layered on top of each other. But it actually really works here. It's framed well. And it doesn't hurt that this whole episode, Cyrus is wearing a really fancy Santa Claus costume, basically. Like, his suit is red velvet with a high formal gold embroidered collar and yeah. tall boots and yeah. like a fan his typical fancy pattern silk cr- cravat but then later in the episode he does put on an actual like velvet santa coat over that like a costume a father christmas costume if you will their father used to always give the staff the day off on christmas which makes sense and is a nice thing to do but They would always, in advance, let them know, you're not going to be here for Christmas, so you have to prepare everything for us because we are... Helpless little babies, yep. ...who cannot take care of themselves in any capacity. The show wants this to be, like, cute and charming. It's meant to be a jokey little story. It's really hard not to feel rubbed the wrong way by some of this stuff because it's just so, like, 
elitist. Like, Mm -hmm. they don't even know where the utensils go on a table, which we'll get into it. But if you are a polit, if you're a political figure slash member of a royal family who goes to official state dinners all the time, you know, like, basically, you may not know which fork goes where, but you have some idea of how to set a table. Robert lived by himself on a desert island for 11 months. If he had no idea how to cook anything, it is spectacular that that man did not get salmonella and die. It was all sushi. He was like Jeremy Piven on an all-sushi diet. He has mercury poisoning, but other than that, he's totally fine. The family is kind of angry at Liam, who... Pouts. Yeah, pouts. (laughs) I'll give this to Liam. It was a nice gesture that was poorly thought out, which I think is somewhat normal. Like, I think the veterans thing a few episodes ago is kind of the same thing, where it was like, I want to do something nice and not think about it at all. It's okay, just... that's the thing. There's that saying, it's the thought that counts. What if there is honestly no thought? Because right. if Liam were actually a considerate person, he would have told these people weeks in advance. And it's not just so that they can prepare the royal family's meals and, like, right. home. It's so... They can make plans, too. Like, how would you feel if you thought you were working Christmas and then Christmas Eve they got you off? I wouldn't be like, oh, thank you, Liam. I'd be like, okay, well, my family lives too far away to visit, but, oh, okay, I didn't buy any food for myself because you didn't tell me until today. This is acceptable literally only in an actual Scrooge scenario. Yeah, where he's, but but in Scrooge, he has the decency to buy them the turkey, at least. He does. That's true. In a Christmas carol. I'm sorry. Well, there's a pretty sweet scene between Jasper and Eleanor that feels like a genuine couple scene, I would say. Jasper talks about laying low, and there's heavy foreshadowing at his family. The first of two times in this episode, which makes me think we will see his father specifically. I guess the second, because when he talks to Robert, he talks about his parents are still charlatans. And then he talks to not wanting to talk about not wanting to talk to his parents with Eleanor, and then he mentions them later. Uh, yeah, I think we're going to see. Jasper's parents pretty soon, or at least his dad. It's a fair bet since the episode, uh, one of the last things we see is him calling his dad on the phone. Right. In one of the most maudlin moments the show has ever done. It's tragic because the Jasper storyline in this episode gets very bad, but it starts out pretty good. Because after this scene where he sees Eleanor getting all this jewelry, he goes to Sarah Alice and is like, she already has a ton of jewelry. The thing, I, the necklace I got her is a terrible idea. We need to do something else. And Sarah Alice is like, like a storybook. All princesses have stories about them. <laughs> She's really cute. She's dressed in the world's most expensive and fancy child elf costume. I mean, oh yes, this absolutely. child elf costume was created by like, ah. Oh, the uh, Edith head or something like it has layers of petticoats uh-huh. and fur trimming and gold and a belt and everything. She it's looks so deal. cute. Yeah. I honestly was so struggling with myself in this episode because normally I hate when a child is thrown into a show just to manipulate my emotions. But in this episode, for the first time with Sarah Alice, it was really, really working on me. And I was like, oh, no, I've become what I hate. So Jasper is sitting at his desk, like writing stuff and he's being very serious which 
to me, it's a lot funnier when someone takes a child character seriously and acts like all the ridiculous stuff they're saying is very logical, mm -hmm. as opposed to Eleanor and Sarah Alice are not a good character pairing because Eleanor making double entendres that Sarah Alice doesn't understand that the grown-up viewer is supposed to be. I don't find it offensive, but I find it very boring and very expected. The Sarah Alice and Jasper pairing works a lot better. Of the pairings we have seen Sarah Alice with so far, and there's a few characters she hasn't interacted with very much, including, strangely, I feel like James Hill. Jasper is easily the best, I think, both in terms of how they write the scenes and actually the chemistry between Tom Austin and the little girl who plays Sarah Alice. Um, um, yeah, he's like, all right, words are done. We need the artwork. Bring it over here. And she brings him this pile of drawings of a, a giant caterpillar and a princess and then her own surrogate character, Alice in the Palace. The sampling of lines here is just superb. One of the nice things also about the Jasper and Sarah Alice thing is that Jasper seems to be not just like overly serious and jokey with her. There are moments where he's kind to her and very nice. Yeah. To her. Like she talks about how she always wanted to be in a fairy story when he asks like, well, why are you in here? And she says, I always <laughs> wanted to be in a fairy story if it's okay. And he's like, couldn't tell the story without you. And it's nice. Like he's nice oh, to I her. I know. This scene made me so happy. And I just don't know how to feel about that. Yeah, there's some great lines. He's like... He looks through all I the photos. I look like I have scoliosis yeah, in this one. And Sarah Alice goes, I can tell the little girl meant it too. She goes, I don't even know what that is. He's looking at all the different pictures she's drawn for the book, and they're all different pictures of him as a caterpillar. But they're wildly <laughs> different from one another, as children's drawings are wont to be. Jasper pulls one out where his body isn't even segmented like a caterpillar. So he goes, You look a freaking cockroach in this one. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. This was the thing that really made me feel the Christmas spirit. If this had been the storyline for the entire episode, Jasper needs a new last minute gift and he makes his storybook with Sarah Alice, that would have been fine. And it would have been a nice little episode. Yeah, I feel like they got like halfway there and we're like... After he says that cockroach line, he pulls out his phone, he's gotten a text message, and his eyes go wide. Here we go, more manufactured drama, but I couldn't have guessed that they were going to take this manufactured drama as far as they take it. And I'm about to get really angry, folks, so... The next time we see him, he is... At first, I thought this was a room in the palace, but uh, I watched a bit of it today just to try and verify that. When he enters this room... There's a couple leaving, so it's clearly supposed to be a bar. They definitely built this set in the palace, I so don't so worry too. about it. Like He meets with this woman who is, um, like, dressed in a, like, it's basically on par with one of those sexy Halloween costumes that you buy. It has full-length arms, like the arms are completely covered. Uh, she's sitting, but I imagine if she's standing, it would cut off maybe halfway up her butt. <laughs> Um, I think it's just like, like a robe. It literally just d isn't connected and she's loosely connected it like around her belly button so you can see maximum cleavage. It's like, it's a wrap dress, ladies who are listening. <laughs> the arms go all the way. So like, if there were a thin orangutan, it would fit it perfectly. I want there, us to have a podcast now where I show you pictures of women's clothing and you just try to describe what it is on the air. This is impractical clothing that I have never seen in the wild. Okay. It's like if a giant double-breasted blazer or a sexy dress. It's like she's wearing a giant fitted blazer as a dress. This 
costume really drew focus because this character is supposed to be a reporter. She's Mm -hmm. one of the few professional women we've seen in the royals world. But my issue is she's yet another one of these women who it's all about like sex and being sexy and like attracting men. And it has nothing to do with a profession of any kind. Like That's true. Uh, speaking of, I have three, three issues here. Uh, I'm going to start. I don't think the actress. <laughs> Ladies and pl- gentlemen of the court. The actress who plays this reporter character does not do a terribly good job, in my opinion. She's terrible. Yes. Point two. I don't know why they didn't have Crenshaw do this. We know who the fuck Crenshaw is. He is a reporter who's been around a bunch. And he's a really fun character, too. And we have a theory that the information that this reporter has may have come from Liam, who owes Crenshaw a favor. Robert, who owes Crenshaw a favor because he didn't print his story ahead of time in the episode where he came back. Crenshaw is like the head of a news organization, though. Could this woman be working for him, maybe? This is issue three for me. There's a line in this scene where she says her name is Harper. He asks if Harper's her real name, and she neither confirms or denies. And it's like, why do we as the audience fucking care what this person's name is? She plays the whole scene like she's about to start crossing and uncrossing her legs, basic instinct style. The meat of it is she knows about him and Eleanor, but more than that, she knows about like him being a shyster and trying to steal the... Koinor diamond? Is that the name of the diamond? Yeah, the Koinor. I don't know what it's called. But uh, the the cursed diamond. The cursed diamond, yeah. Jasper's like, okay, you can attack me. Just leave Eleanor out of the story. Reveal everything about my past, but don't don't talk about my relationship to Eleanor. You'll there's no reason to drag her down except to be selfish. And the reporter's like, hmm, let's be clear, you're the one dragging her down. Him dating the princess basically is the story. Nobody's going to care nearly as much if it's like, former shyster, bodyguard <laughs> at the palace. Yeah, Liam's bodyguard. Everyone be like, well, Liam always knows best and does a great job at everything, as long as he remembers to be himself. So as long as Liam is being himself, everything's fine. I wonder if Jasper has some degree of no of fame for finding out Ted Price was the killer? Does the public know that he was the one who found it Maybe out? Maybe not, because the reveal was through that video, but somebody had to find that video. I don't know why they would hide that it was Jasper, but Especially because it's basically out that they orchestrated Ted's murder by being torn limb from limb, torn yeah. apart by a mob. This results in a very dumb scene. You don't say. Jasper goes back to Eleanor, and she offers him his gift, I think, and he says, I... I don't want a gift, and I didn't get you anything. And she's like, oh, that's okay. It's not a big deal, blah, blah, blah. I'm just happy to be with you or something. And he's like... Because I can't be the guy that is waiting around for letters and writing words that I don't mean. Don't say that. I don't. The sex is one thing, but I'm no good at relationships, and I can't be in one, not with you. But everything was so good. Everything was so good for you. And it wasn't for you? just trying to be honest like he's harry of the hendersons her the problem is it makes no sense no sense whatsoever to the point that he's basically straight up gaslighting her by saying all this stuff because he's been the one who was obsessed with her for months who literally stalked her around the world Mm -hmm. and who has now been the one who's been like 
encouraging all this romantic stuff and saying like, oh, I'm not good enough for you. So she says she to him after he leaves. Yeah. She's, but she says to him as he's leaving. I've given you so many chances. Where do we go from here? It doesn't make any sense for them to basically ever get back together, well, in my there's... opinion. He's treated her so badly. No matter what his reasonings are behind the scenes. We know how the show's going to spin it. And it's going to be that she's going to find out the truth eventually of why he did this and realize, oh, he hurt me then to save me from Ugh. some greater emotional pain. Now, here's the problem with... And then they're going to... She's going to try and get back together with him. And my prediction is it will be just too late. Like, she'll just miss him and he'll leave. Also, he's doing this in a context where she still has to see him every day because he works at the fucking palace. With her twin brother. The other thing that's the problem in this scene is Jasper has done nothing personally wrong in this particular day. Right. In this instance, he has not actually done anything wrong. All the things that this reporter knows, Eleanor already knows about and is okay with and has forgiven. So there is literally no reason for him not to come to her and say, listen, a reporter knows that we are in a relationship and they know about my past. And I think we together should figure out how to handle this situation. Yeah. Because I have, it's not like he has to confess to anything. It's just that somebody told this reporter this thing. Because their whole arc this season has been like, we're writing letters because we want to learn to communicate with each other. We want to communicate better. And then like at the first hurdle, he's like, oh, nope, got to shut everything down, slam it deep down inside. This is a problem that has happened a number of times in the Eleanor Jasper storyline over the years. Um, we have been repeating ourselves about this storyline for, yeah, a long time now. It is <laughs> very clear that the show wants us to believe that this is a romantic, selfless sacrifice and not a total dick move, which is, it is in fact the latter. Yeah, but. I think this is a really dumb twist. And I honestly, if this were real life and Eleanor, my friend, I'd be like, block his number. Like, don't see him. You can never get back together. They've gotten together and broken up so many times. Well, to pound home the fact that I think they want us to have a great deal of sympathy for Jasper is this final scene where he calls his father crying and he assumes the father his father is the one who leaked this information to the press this um, made no sense though I'm not sure why um either uh, why does he think his dad I think just to be cruel maybe but why does he um, think his dad would know about him and Eleanor I don't no. Um, I think that this is a... I think that it's actually Robert who leaked it to the press. Well, I agree with that. They don't confirm or deny that this episode, but yes. Robert was talking to him about this very thing earlier in the day. Uh, Santa, Shannon said yeah, there was Yeah, they shot laid it of, all out there. Shannon said there was a shot of him sort of mysteriously looking at his phone. As the camera pans through the scene of the family about to set up the board game that is them, it's like their family board game that was made in their likeness. He is sitting on the couch texting, and then he leans his phone against his chest as other family members enter the scene. And uh, there's even a scene where Robert talks to Eleanor about if he has issues with Jasper that he, she doesn't get a direct answer on. Jasper assumes his dad did it to be mean, I guess, and says, You've taken everything from me, but the one thing you've given me is, I know I'll never be a complete monster like you or something like that. Weirdly enough, it's almost worse. It's 
I don't know if this is just a super specific reference point that only I'm going to get. It's almost exactly like Ewan McGregor's tearful confrontation at the end of Moulin Rouge. Like, he's crying in the same way, he's talking in the same way. I immediately thought of that. That is completely off topic. Tom Austin has been a bit wooden in earlier seasons. He was actually a model, I think, before actor. He was in, like, a Burberry campaign and stuff, which goes to show he was a very successful model. But I feel like uh, over the past season and a half or so, now that they're letting him do more funny stuff and be less wooden, he's kind of coming into his own a bit more. And even though this moment was impossibly maudlin and melodramatic with him crying to his father, like, he did a good job with what he was given. He acted, you know, he acted well through it, I thought. I thought this moment commended him. The best part of this scene is after the phone call, Sarah Alice comes in and she's like, I'm sorry, I didn't have time to finish your gift. And he tells her that he's going to give the princess's gift later because she got so much stuff today. He's like suppressing tears and trying to be nice to her. And after she says she didn't have time to make a gift for Jasper, he just says, that's okay. How about a hug? And the way he delivers it where he's clearly sad, but he's suppressing it is really well performed, I thought. Yeah, then the hug between them is really nice. Again, you can definitely tell like that the child actor who plays Sarah Alice is comfortable around him and they have like a genuine rapport. So it was really nice. Yeah, there were so many great things about Jasper's scenes this episode. I'm really was genuinely saddened that things ended the way they did. Yeah. Not because I'm like, oh no, poor Jasper, but because I was like, you got this character to a point where I could finally appreciate him for what you're trying to make him, a, a, like a Byronic romantic hero. And it's, yeah, and it would have been safe back if, at square one. If the entire episode were just the storybook like thing, or if they had him just discuss honestly this problem with Eleanor, it would have been fine. Yeah. I really wouldn't have had any problems with the storyline at all, except for the 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 lady who played the report. Uh, this episode sees a lot of conflict, mostly between Liam and Robert, and I think the Eleanor is going to come down on Team Liam probably because of this leak later on in the season. Yeah, I almost wonder if they put that in just to give a reason for her to be on Team Liam, because I otherwise, so. everything the show has told us is that she would side with Robert because he's the unseen lordly figure who's Mm -hmm. always, like, never seen but always mentioned. Uh, Helena finds that the Lord Chamberlain has stayed in the palace and is offering to help them survive doing basic cooking for Christmas. Um, Though he doesn't, James Hill does literally everything. James Hill shows up out of nowhere in the third act, even though Sarah Alice is around the whole time. He literally appears, like the camera cuts and he's there. I think it's supposed to be a joke because everyone's like, wow, good job with the turkey, mum. And she's like, oh, James did it all. And they cut and he's just there at the table. And I guess maybe we're supposed to assume that all day he's been cooking. Helena rekindles her sexcapade. Uh, copyright Angie Camp. Uh, Helena rekindles her sexcapade with Spencer, the Lord Chamberlain. In the wine cellar. And uh, there's not a whole lot to say. He gives her a black eye during sex somehow. I not missed how this he... happened. Okay, so I they are... I did not get it. And I was trying not to watch. 
He didn't punch her during sex or something. I That's know what it that. Like. Okay. So the scene is that they're in the wine cellar because he's trying to find the figgy pudding that they made last year. Because it takes figgy pudding, I guess, a year to be ready. So he's looking for that. And she's like, you put me in a good mood. Let's have sex again. And he is like, yes, ma'am. He goes, you always put me in a good mood. Or like, you put me in a good mood every day. So they start making out up against (laughs) this rack of wine bottles, which are clinking. And like, (laughs) it seems like they're going to fall on their heads, like a billion wine bottles. It's a terrible place to have sex. But what does fall is the figgy pudding from up above, and it hits Helena in the eye. And she's like, keep going. And then she looks down and says, I guess we found the figgy pudding. So that's what gives her the black eye. The figgy pudding falls because they're shaking the wine rack. And they keep making out against the wine rack after that, even though it's clearly dangerous. One thing of note that I want to talk about, which is... A scene between the two of them on the balcony where Helena says until basically until this point, she spent every Christmas evening slash night with her. She would go away and be with her lover, Alistair Lacey. And I was like, all right, when your kids are young adults, that's probably not a huge deal since you and your husband have like kind of an understanding that you're in a loveless marriage. But when her children were children, I mean, I feel like there's a prestige drama trapped inside the royal. It's about like this fraught royal family trying to live with each other in the wake of Simon's death because your mom leaving every Christmas to fuck her lover would make an impression. I mean, you can only keep it so secret. Be like, where's mom going every Christmas? From the jump, it's such a weird show to have Hamlet draped in this Todd I know. I, you know I love imagining it as a prestige drama, though. It's deep in there. It reminds me of the mismatch of what the show is and the drawing off Hamlet actually reminds me a lot of a show that if we weren't doing this, maybe we would do a podcast on it. The weird Archie remake that's a murder <gasps> mystery? Riverdale! Like it's, it's the same mismatch components that don't make sense together. Yeah, it's like a sandwich where you like every ingredient in other sandwiches, but when you put right. it together, it's like, hmm, salami yeah. and cashew butter. I didn't need right. to experience that. Anyways, so that's, forget about this Ch- Lord Chamberlain storyline. That's that's it. Most of the rest of it is, uh, there's various scenes between various characters, but... We have to get into Robert and Liam. It's honestly the core of this episode. I can't believe it's yeah. the last thing on our plate. First, Robert, uh, in a scene where Eleanor's talking about how she loves Jasper and she got him the perfect thing, finally admits uh, that he is uh, in an affair with Catherine, Robert's former girlfriend. I like the beginning of this scene. It's the one where they can't figure out where the plates are supposed to be arranged. And I admit, I genuinely liked the joke of them not being able to figure out how to set the table when Willem says... Maybe there's a picture of our table online and put looks at Eleanor. You don't know anyone's name on this show. Willow's not in this episode. Liam is the one who says it, but uh, there's too many characters now. I'm forgetting who everybody <laughs> is. But Liam is the one who says that. It was the one Liam line I liked this episode, so give it to me. I forgot to mention it. The shot that I liked at the end of the terrible scene is when Jasper, Harry, and the Hendersons, uh, Eleanor, and then there's a shot from the other side of her room, and it says a more on her hearth, and it's partially because that's a great set and she's just standing on one end and he walks away that yeah. is a good shot uh eleanor had some good ones and i felt like in this scene she did. though she did. Uh, eleanor had some like classic bad girl eleanor zingers like 
Liam tells her about the Catherine thing. And of course he tells her the exact same way he told Jasper by being oblique about it and then going, she thought he was dead. I thought he was dead too. So there's no way Eleanor could miss. And just like, just like the Jasper thing I complimented in the other episode, she picks it up right away. And uh, she's like, well, if you didn't get anything, need anything for Christmas, I'm going to need some more weed. She's smoking a joint. Um, You don't understand. Catherine's great. She's very kind and giving. Yeah, giving it to both of my brothers. So that was a pretty solid Eleanor Byrne, old school. I feel like something she would say to Gemma, like, once upon a time. And so in return, a little later, Liam talks to, Eleanor talks to Jasper about how Robert, was kind of, you know, uh, questioning Jasper at the family gym earlier that day and uh, is worried that he doesn't approve. Family gym. Yeah. Family gym. And Robert comes in and and Eleanor's like, I was going to tell you about Jasper. It just didn't seem like a good time. And there's... And... Liam is like, if you have a problem with Jasper, you should just say it. And then, like, it just kind of escalates between Robert and Liam, where Liam, like, pointedly starts calling him Sparrow. And he's like, don't call me that. And he's like, it's not my fault the MI6 called you that, Sparrow. I know that Robert is supposed to be a dick in this scene, and he is. Liam is also kind of being an he asshole, is also though. also being a dick. But I actually love being this- aggressive. I loved this exchange because it was realistically, like, sibling-ish. Like, this is exactly the sort of dumb shit that brothers actually, like, fight about. And it was really stupid, so it it felt very realistic to me. I thought it was one of the better sibling moments that's been on the show, actually. He's like, Sparrow, I said... Don't call me that. It was was very, like, teenage boys. It's interrupted by... Before they actually come to blows, because it looks like they're on the verge of fighting, um, Helena enters the scene and Eleanor's like, what the hell happened to you? She has a black eye and she just tells him she was having sex and had a sex accident. Let's please move on from Helena. I don't need to talk about her again this episode. And then drunk Cyrus comes in and says in his Santa costume. And they don't make it super clear why, but Cyrus like states at the beginning of the episode that he's going to get super wasted, and yeah. then he just does, and then he's just blasted. <laughs> he's just drunk all day, for the which is fine. Like at the beginning of the episode, the continuity the, is superb. After he learns the staff is gone, he's like, "Well, I'm having a drink," and and a couple other characters like me too, and he just turns around with two full bottles. The no, sh- the joke was that the crystal decanters were empty because the staff hadn't filled them. Oh, so he takes the empty crystal decanters, looks at Liam very pointedly, and like slams them on the table. Expected to drink it out of the original bottle. So he yells, ho, 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 he's drunk, he knocks over the tree, it's a little bit of comedy. Yeah, and the tree is right by Simon's portrait, so they're making a lot of use of that. He gets progressively drunker. In an earlier scene, the scene where they play a family board game, he's a little bit drunker and he's just being... A dick to Liam. The family board game scene is really great because uh, they show, like, the game pieces of everyone. And Mm -hmm. even as they were setting it up, I was like, I bet Liam's piece is going to be missing or, like, something. Like, it's super obvious. Eleanor is like, here's Robert. Here's me. Here's Margaret. Yeah, there's a joke that Cyrus's figurine looks like Margaret Thatcher. And... 
I noted as we were watching it, Cyrus's figurine is the only one without a crown, which was interesting. If this were an HBO show, we'd be like, that oh my god, something. this explains everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's a good scene. Like, they can't play the game because Liam's piece is missing. And also and they're all, like, pissy with each other. That's really the bigger problem. Especially Cyrus is being, like, a uh, total Cyrus, like, bitching on Liam kind of thing. Because he, he says... He doesn't know why they bothered to even print a Liam piece because it matters so little. But Cyrus, we could make that same argument for you. You were also a second son. Whatever. He's Cyrus. He says stuff like that. Sarah Allen suggests Alice plays. They su suggest they play uh, Simon Says. And Cyrus immediately goes, Simon Says, I got killed by Ted Price. Lose a turn. <sighs> Love evil Cyrus. I'm so glad he's back. I mean, everything he's saying is insane, especially because as this episode reveals, yeah. and not as this episode Simon. reveals, as this episode makes us remember, Simon was one of the few characters that he actually had like a genuine right. connection with. There's a brief scene of him admitting he likes Robert in this, where they're talking about how they're both going to campaign for the crown, blah, blah, blah. Not an important scene. The reason these moments of pathos involving Robert or Simon work so much better is because even though they're sympathetic moments, they're still in line with the character who Cyrus is, whereas all these romantic moments so, uh, felt so, like, shoehorning in personality mm -hmm. traits that don't actually belong to him. I, I do want to briefly finish off the board game scene, because there's one more Cyrus line that I like. Yeah? Because... He's clearly drunk, and after he says the thing about Simon, Robert's like, I think perhaps Uncle Cyrus re needs a refresher course in Christmas etiquette. And as he's dragging him away, Cyrus yells back, And perhaps a refresher course, Liam, in mattering. Hashtag yesterday's news. Where is Jake Mansell's Emmy for Cyrus Henstridge, best supporting actor in a drama? And it's like delivered like he's drunk. He's one of my favorite lines of the whole episode. He could open up a school just to teach how to act inebriated. He's very good. He does a great job in this episode. I believe it's Jake Mascall. It's the family's first Christmas since Simon's death because as Zach and I ranted about last episode, the timeline of this show makes no sense. It's even though garbage. we're in the third season. In, it's been less than a year since Simon died. Approximately 11 months. Even bearing that in mind, there are a lot of things about what's about to happen that doesn't make any sense. No, there are a lot of things that don't make sense. So dinner looks like a freaking card table set up in one of the fancy rooms in the palace. Mm -hmm. There's like a turkey, there's all the fix-ins, and they're like, this Mom, the this looks great. And oh, it's James Hill, and he's sitting there in a beautiful maroon sweater right next to Sarah Alice. And you know, James Hill doesn't have much time dialogue in this scene but once again i have to give it up for that actor i think his presence and his uh posture his is wide eyes he's got these yeah. beautiful eyes and he looks so scared during everyone else's arguments yes that's a, you did his face you can't mm -hmm. see it but zach did a good impression of him uh yeah he's his reaction shots are awesome and i really would like to see a scene where he has a little more time with sarah alice because the scene yeah. that the bits that I ha can remember them having together are very funny. Like yes. the tell them I was born from the womb of a jackal. Yeah. Remember that. like his anti-kidnapping yes. advice. Anyway, mm -hmm. Robert says very innocuously, like almost as a figure of speech. Well, I guess it's since dad's gone, it's incumbent on me to like give Ooh. a toast and say. I think Helena asks, asks Eleanor, cause she's clearly visibly like sad and been crying. Like she's like, are you okay, Eleanor? 
And Eleanor is sullenly like, no. And then Robert's just like, instead of addressing that any further, is like, time to give the speech. It is another example, I think, of him trying to not deal with his siblings clearly being depressed about something. I feel that the show is being very muddy about whether Robert is... I mean, in real life, there's people are ambiguously good and bad. In this show, that's not the case, and it well, feels like inconsistent writing to have Robert in the episode with the balcony thing when Liam gets drunk and tackles Beck to immediately pull him aside and be like, whatever Beck did to deserve that, like, tell me what happened. I'm on your side. To go from that to being apparently insensitive to Eleanor's pain, it feels like he's kind of being written all over the place right now. And I can't decide if he's good or bad just because he's so inconsistently drawn. Oh, I mean, to be fair, probably he knows why she is sad. So he gives this toast. Okay, but I just wanted to point out that it's a pretty innocuous toast as far as things go. Like, yes. Liam makes out like this is the most pompous thing in the world, but Robert says like it's so it's just basically his toast is like even though dad's not here, it's good to spend time as a family and like remember that the most important thing is to be with people you love at the holidays. Like I think what we're intended to believe is that the toast is like, oh, when I was spending time on the island, I wanted to get home. And I think the thing Liam is supposed to be angered by is that Robert is making the toast about himself. It doesn't quite read that way, but I it think that's what it's supposed that way, to though. be. It doesn't feel that way, though. I get that that's what it's supposed to be, but what you get is a very sloppily edited-together montage where it cuts from Robert saying, like, family really is the most important thing, to Liam, like, luxuriously rolling his eyes and sneering, which the way it's edited, they're if they're doing that, they're putting the reaction shots on the wrong beats. But I think that's what—that's my guess as to what he's supposed to be upset about. I just feel like he kind of makes a mountain out of a molehill on Christmas. I get that emotions are running really high because they're all super sad about Simon, but... He automatically assumes that he is the new head of the household, and I think it's also that he's making the speech more about that a lot of the focus of the speech is on him just because he had a legitimately terrible experience living on an island for 11 months. So Liam gives a counter toast where he doesn't specifically mention Robert, but he's like, And I'm also not sure it's incumbent upon anyone to remind us of anything in the absence of our father. Regardless, here's to a happy Christmas and to ushering in a new year where hopefully everyone's a little less full of shit than they are this year, especially my brother. I doff my cap to William Mosley for that line reading. It was very good. And then there's the quick exchange of Robert getting back up and saying, Here's to Liam being disgraceful today. And then Liam says, To Robert, blowing me. Sorry, Liam comes off way worse in this scene than Robert. I just don't think there's any way to argue around that. I'm not uh, arguing that that's not true. I agree 100%. I was just trying to apply a possible motivation from the perspective of the writers. It gets really nasty at the table because, of course... Helena and Eleanor are both jumping in their way. Helenor is like, your father would and be they're... absolutely appalled if mm -hmm. he could see us right now, which is straight up true. Uh, we haven't discussed this, but uh, one of the big themes of this episode is there's a big Christmas address every year and everybody wants to do it. Uh, Cyrus wants to do it. Robert wants to do it. And at this table, suddenly Liam says, I want to give the Christmas address. This is a real thing, but it's always the queen's job. So it shouldn't really be a discussion. I guess the idea is that technically Cyrus should be the one doing it, but he's so off his face that there's not a chance of that happening. So it becomes an argument. I think and it's also, it's this 
continuation for the balcony thing, at least between Robert and Cyrus, like, who is properly supposed to be king right now? Eleanor, Eleanor breaks down, is like, okay, enough, while they're arguing about the speech, and Cyrus says, if Robert does it, I'm gonna moon the world, and Liam's like, I wanna do it, and blah blah blah, and then Eleanor's just like, enough. If you don't give the speech, Christmas is still gonna happen, just don't do the goddamn speech. And, which is fair enough, I guess. Yeah. And, um, then... Sarah Alice is like, we need something to cheer us up, and that would be presents. But first, there's a moment where Santa Claus comes up, and right. Cyrus tells her that Santa doesn't exist, and everyone is horrified, right. except it's... for Sarah Alice, who's like, completely brushes it off, which I loved, because this is what a child would actually do. Like, there's no reason for Sarah Alice to believe Cyrus. Like, no. it would be one thing if her dad told her Santa didn't exist, but... It, she suggests presents... Helena says we don't give presents, and Sarah Alice says, what about the presents that Santa left? Dun, dun, dun! Everyone's like, presents from Santa? Whatever do you mean? And Sarah Alice, in her little elf costume, walks out and opens up a wall, Deus Uh ex Sarah Alice, and pulls out a velvet sack full full of of wrapped presents, and she's like, are they from Santa? And Eleanor picks up the card on one of them and goes, and I know it's coming at this point, but I'm like, don't you fucking dare. Yeah. Don't you even fucking dare. And she goes, they're from dad. And I'm like, no, don't I'll make admit, me feel things. That, that I, I could see it coming too, but yeah, that that is the most maybe ever the Royals has gotten me. That and the following scene. Uh, I want to note, obviously it's absurd that Sarah Alice found these presents, like, on Christmas. I guess it's possible she found them a little in advance. We don't know how long it was between Simon's death and Robert being discovered, and how long it's been between Robert being discovered and Christmas, but we have to figure it was many months before Christmas when Simon died. Based on the pregnancy of Prudence, Cyrus has been king for three or four months at the at the most but before we get into the sweet stuff i just have to throw it out there that this scene makes it seem like simon was like a seer who knew that he was going to die because he gives away his most prized possessions the present i was harping on about is actually the last one given not the first one given it's simon's watch engraved to eleanor saying i'm so proud of you which is like him repairing their relationship from beyond the grave, basically. Because it kind of directly references his final words to her. Now is the time to be great because you always have been. I'm proud of you, which she repeats later. And this spurs Eleanor to decide to be the one to give give the the Christmas Christmas address. address. Helena is the character who I emotionally connect with the least, maybe even Mm. less than Liam, because at least Liam had like first season moments that I enjoyed. Sure. Um, Whereas Helena, it's been pretty patchy throughout the entire series run. And I found myself literally choking up during her moment over Simon's gift. It's so well done. Um, So the card says you've given up from Simon to Helena says you've given up so much for me. I only ever wanted you to be happy, which is like, the saddest and most beautiful commentary on their, like, semi-arranged, basically right. loveless marriage. Um, and the present that he gives her is uh, a bottle of 
the perfume that she loved best when they like first started dating but he was allergic to it so she had to stop wearing it forever again this really makes it seem like he knew that he was going to die every gift does yeah unless this is his day rigueur every unless every year he gives gifts this intense second gift and this is a bit of cyrus pathos that feels earned that works yeah unlike all the violet stuff this stuff really works this really works he gets gift to Cyrus that says something like, you were never the untold story, you were the secret weapon. And inside, yeah. there's this cane with a snake on the handle, Lucius which is very, very Cyrus, very, yeah, Slytherin. Uh, no, Jafar. I'm saying, if you don't watch the show and you need a reference point, imagine Lucius Malfoy's oh, cane, sure. except instead of black and silver, brown, and like the snake is snake colored. <laughs> And in keeping with the message on the card, when he tugs on the head of the cane, a blade, a hidden blade comes out attached yes. to the head of the cane. It's like a mini sword. It's uh, really cool. It's, it's really great. cool. It's it great. looks great. The prop department on this show is incredible. And Jake Mescal, like, is clearly delighted and touched by it. And Yeah. yeah. He later, we see this thing he has in his room that's like a rack of all swords. He takes the sword that was on top and puts it on the second shelf. So now the sword he got from Simon is on the top spot. So we know that it really means something to him. It's the top of all his pile of swords. It's his best sword. (laughs) We said last season there were a number of scenes where Cyrus had a sword and we always want Cyrus to have a sword. Yes. I feel like he could be like gesturing with it. Oh my gosh. There's so many possibilities but unfortunately the gift that opens up the most possibilities is also arguably the worst one i think so there's no present for robert and robert is obviously really sad about it that his dad died without ever knowing that he was still alive which honestly should be a bigger deal that would be crushing to lose a parent with them thinking that you, you were, were dead. dead. Yeah. That is horrible. So there's a present for Lucius, who was the family's former Lord Chamberlain, who actually helped conspire to kill Simon. So the fact that Simon, in the summertime, was thinking of buying a Christmas present for him is just a real twist of the knife, if you'll pardon yes. the pun. Uh, they don't open Lucius's gift. I thought it was weird that they had it initially and thought something was up i later recanted that i think the moment is more about robert being really sad that there's nothing specifically for him the dumbest gift in my opinion the one that works the least it's fine but it just works the least it's not good is liam's gift which is a pair of like his old boxing gloves and something like simon was a boy in the 1900s instead of like a middle-aged man (laughs) no they're really old to robert dad wanted you to have these take them it's like trying to force them on Robert and Robert is like not in a dickish way he's like no dad gave them to you he wanted you to have them I didn't think that in this moment Liam was trying to be mean I didn't think he was trying to be mean he came off as sulky I felt like it was a genuine gesture of these were probably these always should have gone to you and you should take them. And then Robert turned. I think it's supposed to be that the family is together in this moment. And I thought Robert, I mean, I thought Liam kind of slipped right back into his tone that he's been using for the past four episodes. This is not immediately after the gift giving scene. Uh, Eleanor starts giving the Christmas address. She says she wants to do it after she gets her watch. And uh, it's pretty generic. There's a little closing Royals montage thing. 
Uh, it ends with the lines on the back of the watch, as we mentioned. Liam goes to Catherine's, who's at home and not with her family on Christmas for reasons? Like, her family, she works with them. I don't know why she's alone. He's basically like, hey, he never told, by the way, Robert, even though they said they would last episode. And he says now there's no reason for him to know. But um, he's again like, maybe we can do this. And she's like, yeah, no, we can't. No, yeah. And then he's like, I'm going to keep fighting for you unless you tell me not to. And she's like, don't fight for me. And then he's just he's like, like, I'm going to keep fighting, though. On the other hand, though, mm, I think I'm going to. This is exactly like that moment when he's like, when you were dating Robert, did you ever think of me? And she's like, no, you were his brother. That would have been weird. Like, these are always the moments I like Catherine best. Like, when she accused Robert of fishing for compliments. Mm-hmm. Like, when she keeps it real. <laughs> this is part of what makes me feel like he was being petulant in that gift-giving scene. He slams the box of gloves down on Robert's, like, table in his room because, of course, Robert is in there. Staring at the glass. Robert is like, those gloves are yours. Dad gave them to you. And Liam is like, again, he's starting a fight for no fucking reason. He goes, keep them i'll win them back next week when we fight in the ring we box for charity box each other uh but they're boxing for charity and that's pretty much the end there's a nice shot of simon's portrait and that's it next week is gonna be buck wild because the promos for the boxing episode are the stupidest thing i've ever seen like they are, pretty- they are terrible like Eleanor is the ring girl. Like, this thing is full on. Uh, I'm still hoping that Cyrus is the one who finds out about the Catherine thing and is the one who leaks it to hurt both of them. But we'll see. It's about time for something big to happen, I think, on the show. And it it may, it's either the next episode or the one after is going to be big thing happens. All right. I'm ready for it. Before we take off, uh, most important question of the night, what was your favorite moment or image? Uh, so while I do like some of the comedy lines, I like the Jasper and Sarah Alice stuff. Uh, I like a lot of Cyrus's jabs at Liam, but yeah, it's probably gotta be because it's as emotionally affecting as this show can possibly be. Probably the gift scene was, I have to admit, nonsensical, but effective. And there were some nice moments from the cast in that. I definitely agree. You know that my favorite scene was the moments of Jasper and Sarah Alice going over her artwork. There was another James Hill being short burned that we didn't even get to. Jasper's looking at one of the caterpillars and he goes, why are my legs so short? And Sarah Alice goes, my daddy's legs are short and I think he looks quite nice or something along Mm. those lines. I was like, they make out like he's a midget, but he seems to be a very average heighted man. I mean, maybe this is like a Tom Cruise situation and he's standing on boxes or something, but... Well, I guess that would wrap up the Christmas extravaganza episode of the Royals. So Christmassy. I'm feeling the Christmas spirit now. How many days until Christmas? It makes you want to buy your gifts 11 months in advance, doesn't it? So I guess uh, on that note, I have been Zach Powers. And I will continue to be Shannon Camp as long as they let me. Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) All right. Bye-bye. Visit Stage of Fools on our Twitter at Stage of Fools Pod or on our Facebook page, Stage of Fools. The Royals is property of E. Stage of Fools is produced by Darren Husted, artwork by Joshua Holland.